the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and I am filling in for Pastor Ron, my pastor, who normally fills in, who normally hosts this radio show to take your Bible questions, questions about putting the Word of God into practice in your life, what, uh, what it means, uh, doctrinal questions, whatever we can do to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus so this week has been great. Been filling in for him. It continues into next week as Pastor Ron and Paula both enjoy their vacation there. They get to see family. They get to hang out with church family. It's a great time for them, and the weather is wonderful. At least that's what I heard. In fact, I heard this, that while we were there, and I think May and I shared, shared this yesterday, we were out there the two weeks prior and it was gloomy the whole time, 90% of the time. But as soon as Pastor Ron's plane lands, I heard the skies opened up and the sun came out just for him. <laughs> so he's having a great time enjoying his vacation. He sends his love and he appreciates your prayers, both he and Paula do. Our show continues as usual, so we're here to take your calls and questions. Let me give you the phone numbers, 210-340-9585, that's the toll-free number, 877 there's an email address if you want to submit questions that way. It's questions at calvarysa.com, questions at calvarysa.com. We do have some that were submitted via email, so we'll get to those today. We also have a church app that allows you to submit questions. There's a form there where you fill it out and type your question in, and it'll go right to our email. Uh, if you're listening in your car, you can use the KSLR app. Super easy. So click the button at the top if you want to call in, and it'll connect you right to the radio uh, producer in the studio, and you can ask your question then. Okay, I already mentioned it. It's Friday, so that means here at Calvary Chapel, quick programming note. Uh, not programming note. Church schedule. Here at Calvary Chapel, it's our New Testament Bible study night. That means, since Pastor Ron is on vacation, uh, we have Pastor Matt teaching tonight. So Pastor Matt, I think he's teaching out of uh, Matthew's Gospel. So, Pastor Matt teaching out of Matthew. That's great. 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Join us in person. If you can't join us, you can catch us online at calvarysa.com. The live stream will be there. But we'd much rather see you in person. So come, 7 o'clock. All right, let's get right to our questions. We don't have anyone calling. You have the numbers. In the meantime, I have a question here from James. 
This one is addressed to Pastor Ron. I'll go ahead and take it. It's from the, the email inbox. He says, Hello, Pastor Ron. You stated in your study in Galatians that we are not free to sin, but free from sin. Can you explain what free from sin means? Thank you. James, great question. And yes, I I can explain. I know exactly what Pastor Ron would say, and, and I love this. I love how he articulates this so clearly. So when when we say Christians or we are not free to sin, we mean that Christians cannot sin without consequence. Now, that's a given. There are consequences to our sin. And I think you get that part because your question is specifically about the second part, which says, but we're free from sin. And so the key here is that we are free from the bondage of sin. And this is what Pastor Ron was talking about in Galatians. Remember, as Paul described the law as a schoolmaster, meaning uh, we were slaves or in bondage to sin. Sin was our master. And so even when we wanted to do good, if we wanted to do good, we had no chance because we were like a puppet on strings and sin controlled us. And that's what we're free from. So we're free from sin in the sense that we are free from the bondage of sin, James. Now, it doesn't mean that we're free from sin forever. In other words, it doesn't mean that we'll never sin. Unfortunately, those of us who are born again, we still have this thing called the flesh, this sinful nature of ours that is like a magnet drawn to sin. And and it's impossible. Even as a born-again Christian with the Spirit of God living in us, when we try to stay away from sin using our own strength. We fail. That's why God gives us the supernatural power of his spirit. And this power of God's spirit is the same thing that Paul writes to Titus about when he says that the grace of God, this is empowered by the spirit, but the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and teaches us, each one of us who are born-again Christians, to say no to ungodliness and to live upright, godly lives in this current age. So there's no way for you and I, James, or any of us, to be free from sin in the sense that we're never going to sin because we have this thing called flesh, which is why we look forward to the coming of our Lord when we receive our glorified bodies and sin is no longer an issue. However, in the meantime, God gives us the Spirit and His Spirit gives us supernatural strength to say no to ungodliness. But we are free from the moment, from the moment we become saved. We are free from that bondage We're no longer a slave to sin. We're a slave to righteousness. No longer controlled by sin, which used to be our master. Jesus cut those ties. He broke those chains. And we are now slaves of righteousness. I love that, James. Great question. This is really important to understand, too, for us. Doctrinally, it changes the way... We live. When we understand that the power of God's Spirit, not our own strength, but the supernatural power of God's Spirit has been given to us without limit, without restriction. And when we operate in the power of God's Spirit, we're not going to sin. That's just simply the case. We're not going to sin 
when we're walking in the Spirit. We're not going to sin when we're with Jesus. But the moment we step away, and this is a moment-to-moment thing, the moment we create distance between us and Jesus, that's when we'll sin. And because we have flesh, and because our flesh is, like, like I said, a magnet drawn to sin, we've got to stay so close to him that sin doesn't sneak in there. That's what it means. And I hope that makes sense. So we're not free to sin because there's consequences to sin, but we are free from the bondage of sin. Uh, on a personal note, for me, this was revolutionary in my walk because uh, I was somebody that did not need to be convinced that I was a sinner. The day that I got saved and the life that I lived, I, I knew that I was a sinner. But the discouragement or the discouraging thought that I would wrestle with as a brand new believer was that I'm never going to change. Just impossible. I've tried. And I've done all kinds of things to try to be a better person, try not to do bad things, but it's never lasted. And once this this truth from Galatians became a reality in my young Christian mind, the uh, same thing that Paul writes to the Romans, and I realized that sin no longer controls me. And if I sin, I'm choosing to sin. But if I'm with Jesus and he controls me, I'm not going to sin. It, it's not on me. It's on Jesus. I just got to be with him. It was so refreshing. It was like a weight taken off of my back. And I think that's really important, too, because a lot of Christians still have a skewed understanding or an idea that God God loves them or God's grace towards them as a Christian is affected by their performance. But it's just not true. Now, when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. That's what sin does. It separates us from him. But repentance is what restores us back into fellowship with him. But it doesn't depend on my performance. And I just absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. Thank you, James, for your question. Let's go right to our phone line. Brianna from San Antonio, you're on the air. Hi. So I have a question about a potential family member moving in with me and my family. Okay. So, so my husband has a family member that has been in financial turmoil for decades and heavily relies on others to help them, whether it's with gas. We're in a position now where they might not have a place to live very soon, and we're considering having them move in with us. But the problem that we're facing right now outside of the financial dependency is that they wear these gems across their forehead and specifically in cleaning their chakras. And they're doing it in honor of their late fiancé. I believe that chakras are an open door allowing spirits into your life and your home. And if she does live with us, I don't want... Them, I don't want her to have any of the gems inside of our home. I'm not trying to have any of those spirits invited. And I can't control her outside of the house, but I'm conflicted. I don't right. want her to be homeless, but I don't know how to approach the situation exactly. Right. Brianna, great question. Great question. And so uh, you were cutting out a little bit there, but I got the, the, the main gist of your question. Uh, so a couple things about this. This is very important, and I'm glad you called. The first thing, it is vitally important that you and your husband are in one accord, on the same page. And, and I'm assuming that both you and your husband are born-again Christians. And if you are, then this is, you, you both have to be in one accord stating that this is Jesus' home, 
with Jesus' rules. It's not Brianna that makes up the rules. It's not your husband that makes up the rules. This is Jesus' home with Jesus' rules. That sets the foundation for your home and whoever lives there. And if they choose to violate any of these rules, they're Jesus' rules, then they can't be there. And this isn't a matter of being unloving. It is the most loving thing you can do to take somebody who is hurting, who is struggling, and point them to the only solution that will change their life. I love your heart. I love the fact that you want to help a family member. But there needs to be clear boundaries, and there needs to be a very clear foundation. Should this be something that you and your husband are in one accord over and agree as you both individually seek the Lord and get together and talk, Brianna. And if you both feel like this is something that the Lord may open a door for, number one, it's going to be somebody that's going to abide by Jesus's rules. Uh, number two, you brought up the, the chakras, the chakras, and yes, you're absolutely right. These are a no. These are a no. You, you're right. These are... Uh, New age meditation, new ways for inviting other spirits. And you don't want that. This is Jesus' home with Jesus' rules. And you can even uh, pose it this way because it's a family member that you care about and that you love. And you understand that they're hurting. They're going through a really difficult time in their life. What a perfect opportunity for Jesus to come in and be everything that they've been looking for all their life, Brianna. Now, if they choose to receive that and they're willing to abide by the rules and and Jesus is who she's going to put her faith in and not anything else and she wants to become born again, that doesn't mean she automatically can move in. Still, you have to pray. But ultimately... That's what she needs. That's what your family member needs. More than a place to live, more than resources. She needs help for her hurting heart. So share Jesus with her. Now, the practical matter of your question is, again, let me reiterate. Uh, Jesus is home. Jesus is rules. You and your husband talk privately. Privately. And as you're talking about this, it's not about what you want. It's not about what he wants. Together, you talk about what Jesus wants. And God will use your home as a light and a witness to whoever comes and visits or to whoever comes and stays. Does that help, Brianna? No, it does. Thank you very much. My husband and I have had discussions about her potentially moving in beforehand, but it's not of late. It was a recent conversation with the said family member that kind of opened the doors of potentially letting her move in with us. But we both agree that we don't allow or agree with the chakras being inside the house, especially with two little ones that we have. Sure. Absolutely. And, and you're, you're right. Your discernment is absolutely correct. You don't want to let uh, any type of... Uh, anything into your home. And it's not just religious or false religious things, but anything into your home that's going to distract from your family's walk with Jesus. Um, You're still going to be a light no matter what. But just because you're being a light doesn't necessarily mean you have to let them stay there. This is just something that you and your husband have to be an absolute one accord with. But if it does happen, again, there's got to be rules. And these rules have to be enforced. And there have to be clear guidelines if these rules are not enforced, what the consequences are. And I think God's going to use your home, Brianna. So I'll be praying for you and your husband. And if there's anything we can do, what, there is one thing I would suggest. Uh, this, if this is a matter that, that you and your husband are still not in one accord with, I would strongly suggest you set up an appointment with the pastor of your church, both you and your husband, to sit down and talk about these things. Um, Somebody that knows you guys and knows what's going on in your home, 
And I think that'll give you an opportunity to hear from somebody in your church that knows you guys and give you some biblical guidance. Brianna, thanks for your call. And like I said, I'll be praying for you and your husband. Uh, but I do appreciate, I do appreciate um, your heart. That's good. Oh, okay, that opens up our phone line. So if there's anybody else that would like to ask their question on the air, the, the phone lines are open. We'll move on to the next questions that have been submitted. This one is from Anonymous. Is there biblical support for more people praying for you, the more God will hear and answer the prayers? Or does just one person praying have as much an effect on the request? Thank you and God bless. Anonymous, this is a good question, but I think we have to understand what prayer is first. And in its simplest and most basic form, prayer is communication with Jesus for the purpose of our hearts being molded to his. Now, we do make our supplications, our requests, and and we do intercede on the behalf of other people as the Word of God instructs us to. But prayer isn't done for the purpose of changing God's heart. And based on your question, it sounds like you're, you're asking Anonymous if, well, is it more effective to change God's mind if we have more people praying, or is it just as effective if it's just me praying? And what I want you to know is that God wants to hear from us, whether it's corporately or individually. He hears us. He hears us. Now, let me talk about two things here. Individually, this is important. Uh, Jesus gives us the parable of the persistent widow sort of as an example of what our attitude towards prayer should be. And, and, and it isn't about gathering as much people as you can, but what Jesus focuses on in this, with this persistent widow in Luke chapter 18 is that tenacity and, and faithfulness in, in your commitment to praying, to communicating with God, is important. It's not as important as going out and, and trying to gather as many people as you can. If you can't gather anyone and it's just you alone, you pray. You pray persistently with tenacity. You pray faithfully. And what this does is it opens a channel of communication between you and Jesus. And this is a two-way street. You're talking and you're listening. As he speaks to your heart, you're, you're talking to him. That's what prayer is. And in the course of doing that individually, our hearts become more like his. The second thing, and we're inside here just uh, four, maybe three minutes, so I, w- I have time to elaborate on this a little bit. Corporate prayer is another important aspect of our Christian lives. Just because God does hear our prayer when we pray individually doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to pray with other people. In fact, this is what the Bible tells us to do. You look at the book of Acts. You know, when the church was starting and they were being heavily persecuted, they're in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and all throughout, they, especially in chapter 1, it says that they were praying together constantly, along with the women and Mary, Mary, mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is when they were seeking the Lord's will when it came to replacing Judas. But they got together and they committed themselves to praying together constantly. It doesn't mean, though, that the collective voices were louder and it forced God to listen to them. But it pleased the Lord because God hears his children. And he gets to work in the hearts of us individually and collectively as a group when we pray together corporately. And so, no, there is no biblical support for the more the better, the more God is compelled to to do what we ask him to do. Um, But a healthy prayer life involves others 
pray corporately with others. It also allows you to knit hearts with people when you pray corporately. One of the things we do here on Saturday mornings is our time of corporate prayer. In fact, it'll be here tomorrow, 9.30, with me and May. We open up the church and and we just pray. There's there's no model. There's no... We just pray. And we individually cry out, but collectively share our hearts together as we pray for one another. We pray for things that are heavy on our hearts. We pray for our church. And we get to watch God move. We hear answered prayers about things that people have been struggling with and and um, health issues and and praise reports about no longer health issues. It knits our hearts together and binds us even closer together in the love of Jesus Christ. And if you pray just by yourself, you miss out on that. So individually, yes, the Lord hears you. Be persistent in your prayers, but also pray corporately. This is what the Bible teaches us. You can hear the music. That means we are done with the first half of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken here on the Friday edition. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and if you're just tuning in, like I know some of you do in the second half of the show, I have the privilege of filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who's on vacation. So our show continues as usual. Let me give you the numbers to call in and ask your question on the air. 210-340-9585-210-340-9585-877-630-5757. That's the toll-free number. 877 5757. The email address is questions at calvarysa.com if you want to submit your questions that way. Uh, you can use our church app and you can listen online using the KSLR app that will connect you right to the radio studio audience. And then you can ask your um, question on the air. Okay. Let's see if we have anybody on the phone line. Nope. Okay, we do have some questions that are sent to our email inbox. This one is from John. Pastor Ken, I heard you say that you didn't have a lot of questions, so I figured I'd send some in. Thank you. (laughs) I have two questions for you. I heard you say another pastor besides yourself will be teaching tonight. Why is that? And what can you tell me about this other pastor? Okay, John, that's the first one. Great. It's perfect because today is a different pastor that is teaching. Pastor Matt Blanton is um, one of the pastors here on staff. He's actually the other pastor that is here with me pretty much every day in the church office. Um, What we do, though, to answer your question, uh, why is that? Why is he teaching instead of me? When Pastor Ron is out on vacation, um, we, we like to give the other pastors an opportunity to teach. And so the Wednesday and Friday uh, Bible studies, both this week and next week, will be uh, different pastors that are here on staff. Tonight happens to be Pastor Matt. He was a wonderful teacher, by the way. And, and that's simply just to give everybody a chance to teach. We also want our church body to get to know the hearts of each one of us that are on staff. Pastor Ron is the teaching pastor of this church. He is the senior pastor. Uh, So when he's here, he's teaching. But when he's not here, we use that opportunity to to let the other pastors exercise their gift and to teach also. And what can I tell you about this pastor, this other pastor? I can tell you that Matt is a gift. He really is. He is uh, one of the newer pastors here on our staff, but he has been here for many, many years. And 
honestly, I, I, for all of our pastors, I can't tell you exactly how many years they and their families have been here because it really seems like each one of us have been here forever. It feels like that. We know each other really well. We're all very close. Uh, we all have different personalities, uh, different teaching styles. Uh, but what we do have in common is that this is, we know, this place, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, is the place that God has led us to, to plant deep roots and knit hearts amongst each other and with the people, the precious people that God has brought here. And so our lives, the lives of our families are fully invested in this calling. Uh, Pastor Matt is somebody who... Uh, like I said, he's, I said he's a gift because he's so smart. He's a smart guy, and, and, and he's humble. He's also a good Bible teacher. So come tonight, 7 o'clock, and you could hear his heart. The second question that John asks says, We have heard Pastor Ron say that you will take over the church when Pastor Ron either retires or goes to be with the Lord. How do you feel about that? Well, I've never had this question asked on the radio, John, so I'll make it short. Uh, I know this is what God has called me and me to do. Uh, we're excited. Uh, we, we know that at some point in the future, uh, maybe 10 more years, who knows? <laughs> I say that to Pastor Ron and we laugh together. We don't know when, when it will happen, but that's the plan. That's the plan that the Lord has given us. Um, but we have no plans right now to instantiate that plan. In the meantime, we keep serving with the strength that we have. And I serve right alongside my pastor, uh, filling in for whenever he's not here. But how I feel about that, I, I don't, I'm excited, but at the same time, uh, excitedly scared, if that makes sense. I know it has nothing to do with me. God's going to bless it no matter, you know, who it would be. But in this case, God chose me. And uh, I like to say that I have a pretty good teacher in Pastor Ron. I'm sort of, I, I look completely different than him, but he calls me his son. Because we're actually very similar in many ways. Um, that's all I can say, John. Uh, there really isn't anything else other than, uh, it'll happen whenever it happens, then we expect God to do our work. In the meantime, we continue doing what we're doing. Thanks, John, for your question. Uh, let's go to our phone lines. We've got Ruben and Seguin. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor uh, Ken. How are you doing today, sir? Ruben, my friend, I'm doing well. It's good to hear your voice. That's good. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, like always, my mind is eager to 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 know more and uh you know on what what we sh what we should do and what we shouldn't do as christians uh and i'm gonna be i'm gonna refer to the whole new testament well actually the first five maybe because I, I don't recall anyways in demon possession now um if i recall jesus was the only one that actually spoke to, in one case, he spoke to a demon, and uh, he he asked them what what was their name. Uh, he already knew. I mean, because Jesus knows everything. Um, he already knew, and then they answered him. Now, my question is: uh, Did the disciples? Because um, I know Jesus commissioned them and told them go out, you know, casting demons and whatnot. But I don't, to my recollection, I don't remember a verse ever uh speaking about any of the apostle apostles rather i'm sorry of verbally speaking to a demon to come out of somebody now with that being said back then jesus did it and he told his disciples to do it now let's fast forward to now um late at night cable tv uh christian tv uh, a lot of uh camp meetings and whatnot that they have, I see these people uh, casting out demons and speaking to them in a room full of people. And I'm right. thinking to myself, well, 
I don't think that's kind of accurate because if you speak to them and then you cast them out, but then you don't tell them where to go, you just let out a whole bunch of demons to a room of people that not every one of them are saved. It could quite possibly, if I'm wrong, and that's why I'm asking. Right. Correct me for wrong, but okay. quite possibly well, get into one of those people. So that's my question. If well, if you yes. understand what I'm saying. I do understand what you're saying, Ruben, and I do appreciate you prefacing with your heart. I, I already know your heart. You've been part of our family for a long time. But one of the things I know about you is you, you are hungry to learn more about God's word. And so let me, let me answer your question. Uh, speaking to demons isn't something that we should be doing. Yes, Jesus did with Legion. Um, remember when after the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, when Jesus came down from the mountain and there was, the disciples were having problems casting out a demon of this young boy. Uh, this isn't something that would be normal behavior. But when it is done, it isn't to talk to the demons. It would be done to simply cast them out or remove them or exercise that demon. Again, this is not normal behavior. And particularly today, we don't normally run across demon-possessed people. But there are people who are demon-possessed. These are not Christians. These are people who do not know the Lord and they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. But when we encounter people like that, we, we don't engage in conversation with them. You know, remember the, the seven sons of Siva? This is a perfect example of what not to do. You don't talk to the demons. There was the sons of Siva who uh, tried to talk to the demon and, and, and into, into this person and uh, tried to cast them out. Uh, but realizing that these sons did not have the power of the Holy Spirit in them, they were just going through the motions which is sort of what you allude to, watching you know, people do it and watching TV, you put yourself in danger uh, because demons aren't, they're real, but they're not, they're not um, things that we should engage with on an individual battle. That's not what spiritual warfare is. Fortunately, we have churches, unfortunately, there are churches that teach to engage a demon, to, to shout at the demon, and to, 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 to say certain things to them, none of that has any power. None of that has any power. What we do is we stay close to Jesus, and Jesus is our big brother from Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 5. He fights our battles for us. And, and we're not engaged in these uh, silly word battles with a demon that could crush us. And I think this is part of this is just the enemy's tactic to lure us into taking our eyes off of Jesus, Reuben, and, and uh, engaging in things that will really hurt us. And so I think the Bible gives us clear examples that yes, demons are real, and the demonic realm isn't something for us to mess with. Instead, we let Jesus take care of that. We fix our eyes on him. We stay close to him. And what he does in turn is he fights those battles for us. So, Ruben, yeah, don't listen to people that, that talk to them, engage them, and say certain things to them. Um, that's all nonsense. One last thing I'll say about this, Ruben. Uh, I'm not a a big reader of, of Martin Luther, but one of the things I read about him, whether this is really true or not, I don't know, but a, uh, apparently there was a night when he couldn't sleep. And as he's tossing and turning in his bed, uh, he looks at the foot of his bed and sees a figure, ominous figure standing there. And looks up, and he says, oh, it's just you. And he goes back to sleep. Something to that effect. I think that's accurate. That's the right way to just deal with 
these demonic beings uh, are real, but we don't have to engage with them. In fact, we shouldn't. And anyone that teaches you how to or that you should is somebody you need to stay away from. So, Ruben, I hope that helps. Thanks for your call. Let's go right back to our phone lines. Jimmy from San Antonio, you're on the air. Hi, how are you doing, sir? Jimmy, I am doing well. It's good to hear from you. Get behind me, Satan. That's what you need to tell the demons. Get behind Mm -hmm. me, Satan. (laughs) That's it. Jesus Christ. But I was going to tell you, um, hey, um, there, I, I saw this event on on, uh, on social media that's saying they're going to celebrate Pride Month or something here somewhere. And I'm like thinking to myself, and I have some friends that are like that, but I, I, and I've shared the scriptures with them, like really direct with them. That you're, you're not going to be able to inherit the kingdom of God if you continue living in this lifestyle. You need to come to Jesus Christ. And be born again, yes. And and what you're doing, I haven't come directly to them, but what they're doing is they're celebrating their sin. That's right. And and pride is God does not like pride, and they're but the, what happens? I know in Second Corinthians four four it says that they're blinded by the God of this world, which is Satan. So I don't know. It's, it's just so frustrating to me. I just it want is. Them to be saved. I just want them to be saved. I mean, and tell them, look, even when you're saved, you're not going to be perfect, okay? Because only Jesus is perfect. But the Holy Spirit will be there to help you and warn you before you fall into that sin. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Jimmy. And I love that your heart breaks for people who are lost in their sin. It should, and don't ever lose that. Too often Christians get frustrated with people that are not saved because they expect some type of uh, born-again behavior from people who don't have the Holy Spirit of God living in them. And what that does is it, 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 it's a tactic of the enemy to make people our enemy instead of the enemy being our enemy. But I love your heart, Jimmy. You're absolutely right. Now, when... I don't know. I don't think you were asking this question, but you mentioned it. The, these pride events and things that are coming up. It is that month that they they want to call Pride uh, Month and celebrate their sin. And instead of getting confrontational with them at these events, uh, I love how you describe how you talk to people. It's on a one-on-one basis. And that's how God uses those of us that are born again to reach others. Um, I know this wasn't your question, but we've had the question before where during this month people want to show up in force at these events. And they, they, they want to engage with people in conversation. And I always... I tell them to pray and make sure this is the Lord and not their their own pride that wants to go and and go head to head with people. But um, just because we want them saved doesn't mean that going to those types of venues is the best place to do it. In fact, all these these pride events are often filled with people that are so emotionally charged, it's impossible to have uh, a dialogue with them, a conversation with them. And it's not going to happen... When, when people are yelling and, and screaming. Um, so it's just not effective. And not effective venue, I think, to share Jesus. So it, but when we do have people like that in our lives, and God gives us eyes for them and a heart for them, we should do what, we, what you described, Jimmy, not get frustrated with them. I know your frustration or your... your broken heartedness is because you care about them and because you love them. But we've got to remember that what Paul writes to the Corinthians, that these things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. In other words, there's no way for anyone that doesn't have the Spirit of God to understand what the Spirit of God is saying. And so 
And what we do is we pray for them. We pray for these people. Uh, we, uh, just like the question that was asked, you know, we commit these people to our lists of other people, of people that we're praying for, that God would grab hold of their hearts. And the the behavior is not even the focus. It doesn't matter what kind of sin it is that they're involved with. Uh, we want them to know Jesus. We want them to find out what true love really is, not what the love that this world offers. And so when we see these events and these things going on, um, our hearts break. We're not, we're not offended. Um we're not, we don't respond aggressively. We don't feel like we have to fight back because they're not the enemy. And believe me, I have flesh, we all have flesh. It, it feels like that because their attacks are personal towards us. But these are people that are blind, just like you said. You know, Paul writes to Timothy in, in um, the second letter, in the second chapter of the second letter, and he says that the servant of God must be teachable, must be somebody that uh, is even-tempered. Why? So that when he gently corrects those that are in opposition to him, uh, we provide an opportunity for the veil to be lifted from their eyes. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 for the veil to be lifted from their eyes, that they may see. Can you imagine, Jimmy, how how it could ruin our witness when we fall into the trap of getting mad at people because of what they believe? They're just simply not saved and they don't have the Spirit of God. To be usable by Jesus, we need to be teachable. We need to be humble. Uh, We need to put the Word of God in in our mouths and let the word of God speak. And then God gets to work on their hearts. So Jimmy, thank you for your call. I I hope that helps. Uh, We are just inside five minutes for the rest of the show for this week. So I don't have time to take any more calls. Um, Let me say one more thing about this and then I think I'll move on to a short question. Uh, Jimmy, and I think Ruben's question was uh, yesterday was very similar to this. Uh, as Christians, our authority is the Word of God. And when the authority in our lives is the Word of God, what other people say or what they think uh, shouldn't distract us from what we know to be true. And just because these are people that love us, that are close to us, and we see them giving over to given over to a lifestyle that'll send them to hell. We should focus even more on Jesus, so that they would see in us what they've been looking for all their lives. I hope that makes sense, Jimmy. We are just inside four minutes. Let me see if I have a quick question. I, I do. Here's one. From Joanne, what does the recurring phrase to this day mean in the Bible? Uh, This is a phrase that, some variation of it, that occurs about at least 50, 50, 60 times in the Bible. And all it simply means, Joanne, is this. At the time of that writing, this is what was going on. Sometimes, like in Joshua, he's talking about a memorial that was going on. Uh, and it still remains to this day. Uh, there, that that's what the author would use, sort of to commemorate, um, and let the readers at the time know that what God did back then is still visible to this very day. Now it doesn't mean that you know two thousand years later when we read it that it's still there to this day. The cities, some cities, are not there to this day. But when God says, or when the scriptures say, to this day, uh, it simply means at the time of the writing, whatever is being written about is still there, is still extant to this day. 
And I, I think this is great, too, because practically what it does to the reader is it ties in what they're reading with, with tangible physical evidence. And that just reinforces their faith in what God says in his word. Hmm. To this day, I mean, you know, there are some places in Israel where you can go and see. It's amazing. To this day, the, where, the, the, the Via Della Rosa where Jesus walked is to this day still there. Did it look exactly the same way? Probably not. But to, to know and think about, wow, where Jesus walked to this day, still there. That sort of validates and reinforces what we believe to be true. Hey, we are inside of just two minutes. I don't have time for another question. Uh, no, I, no, we're inside one minute. I won't take another question. Let me reiterate Tonight here at Calvary Chapel, it is our New Testament Bible study night. Pastor Matt Blanton is teaching out of the Gospel of Matthew. And so come 7 o'clock here, join us in person for fellowship and for verse-by-verse expositional teaching. Um, If you're not able to join us, join us online, calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock and you'll tune in. Even if we'd much rather see you in person and give you a hug, if you have to join us online, that's okay. Hey, it's been a great week. You can hear the music. That means that the Word to Stand On for Life is done for this week. Next week, I'll join you Monday, 4 o'clock. In the meantime, have a great time at church this Sunday. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.